Come with me to Romans chapter 1, verse 24 and 25. A little context behind Romans. Romans chapters 1 through 3 is basically sin. <laughs> um, Romans chapters 4 and 5 is justification by faith alone. How God um, acquits us of our, our penalty of sin and forgives us. And then Romans chapter seven, eight, six, seven, eight talks about sanctification. And then, then chapters, uh, nine, t- nine and 10, nine, 10, 11 talk about God's plan for Israel. And then 12 through 16 talks about, um, how we are to live in light of the gospel. So understand Romans chapter three, one to three is framed up in the understanding of what happened to man. How did we rebel and how do we sin? So, In Romans chapter 1, verse 24, it says, Therefore God gave them up to the lust of their hearts to to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshiped and served the creation rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. I want to lock your eyes, circle, underline, however you want to do this mentally. Um, But all of humanity has this major problem or struggle, and it's called sin, of serving the creature rather than the creator. So God is the creator. He spoke and made everything, but he, he is the creator. But humanity is interesting. We are prone, we are bent, to serve the creature or the creation. Um, Adam and Eve were, were they the creators? No, they were the creation from God. And they sought to what? Serve themselves instead of the creator. And really that's the crux of man's problem. We, we refuse to serve the creator. We rather serve ourselves. And so Today, um, we're talking about investing in eternity, and there's all kinds of creation and all kinds of things in these world that we are bent on serving and giving our energy and effort and time to. I don't know if you guys know how to use your phone well enough to do this, but I'm sure our phones have this capacity. Are you able to like turn on your phone, and is there a section where you can say how many hours you've been on the phone for the last week? Can anyone do that? And just say, hey, I've been on the phone for the hours this many weeks, this many hours in the past week. Just throw out some hours. We're not shaming you, okay? I'm not trying to do that. I'm just trying to just literally see how much we've been on the phone. Is anyone able to do that real quick? This, any use of the phone, any use. (laughs) Any answers? That's it? Six and a half hours? A day? (laughs) Okay. I I imagine it could easily be 20, 30 hours, um, something like that a week, maybe 40, 50 hours for some of us is on the phone. Um, We are, are human beings and we are prone to serve all kinds of creation or the creatures. And so um, human, as human beings, we, especially in America, we, we are without ma- materialist in different ways. Some of us love our clothes. Other of us love our, our gadgets. Some of us love collections. I know people who just collect a lot of 
different things, cards, Beanie Babies, just whatever. We just collect stuff. Um, and then what, what it does is interesting. Um, just like your phone, it, it, it sucks you into it. it you, you find yourself, you're enslaved to it. Um, some people just can't get off the internet or video games. It's stuck. And if you tell them to get off, they'll get angry and mad and all kinds of stuff. Um, so... And m money is one of the biggest ones that can consume us, whether it's the loss of money or making money or whatever affects as it relates to money. So it's no wonder that Paul reminds or writes Timothy and reminds him that the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Just note this real carefully. The love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. So things related to money could lead you into different temptations of gambling, dishonesty in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 10. But note this real carefully. Remember the Bible nowhere teaches, uh, teaches that money in itself is evil. The Bible doesn't teach us that. Some people may not know the Bible too well and they'll say money's evil. Okay? The Bible's not saying money is evil, but the love of money can lead to all kinds of of evil, okay? Um, <clears throat> but we all have um, some level of money, some God has given blessed more, and I want you to know there's a reason for that, and we'll look at that. And some may, may not have as much, and so you need to kind of understand why is God, why does God do that? I guess if we would drop back and step back, back maybe 10 or 20 years ago, and if you invested into Netflix, maybe $1,000, you'd probably be at a good place today. Or if you invested in Amazon when it first started, you know, I never thought Amazon was going to be what it became today. Like, not just an online bookstore, not just an online garage sale, it's online buy anything you want. <laughs> now you get food, you get drugs. I mean, you can almost buy a spouse online. <laughs> I mean, you can just buy anything these days. It's crazy. I'm sure some people, I don't know, we won't go there. But you just buy a lot of stuff. I, I think someone tried on eBay about Oregon, like, I just want to buy a kidney, right? Here's a kidney on eBay. But besides the point, if you, bet, if you put some money, just a little bit of money in Bitcoin at the beginning, wow, you could have a lot of money by now. So... That's one form of investing in the things of this world. But <clears throat> with all these, even the owner of Amazon, he's fascinating. He puts a lot of his money in other companies, not in Amazon, because he says even his own company will die one day. Maybe not in his lifetime, but maybe it will. Who knows? But with any investment we have in this life, it's prone to up and down, and then eventually no more. Um, I mean, there will be a day where Netflix will be obsolete and Amazon will be no more. I don't know when it'll be. It'll be something else down the road. Um, but it, it will have its time and it will run its course. But I want you to know that Jesus is high on investing. He wants you to invest and he wants you to invest well and he wants you to invest in the best way possible. And so as we continue our study on the Sermon on the Mount, we're talking more and more about what does it mean to live gospel-centered lives and how to live <coughs> in God's kingdom here and now following and giving our life to the greatest king, King Jesus. And I want you to know when we think of kings, our, our world, our human kings, 
some are good, some are bad in, in Bible history. Some are good, some are bad, some are so-so. But Jesus is the best kind of king. He's the most generous king. It's a king that you would naturally and instinctively want to serve and give your life to. And so as disciples of Christ, we are citizens um, in God's kingdom. And he wants us really to know how to live in his kingdom. And in, in today's particular case, God wants us, Jesus wants us to invest well into his kingdom. And he wants to invest well in such a place that he's going to tell us about the best investment of all. All right? And he's going to tell us where to invest, where your dividends will exceed all these companies I just listed out, plus Apple and Costco and Nike and the best forms of cryptocurrency. It will exceed all those investments. And guess that, what? With Jesus, there is no loss and there's no gimmicks. And there's, he's not playing, you know, he's, try, he's not trying to play you. He's not trying to sucker punch you. So this morning, I am excited um, to hear from the Lord. And I hope you are too, as Jesus speaks to us and he leads us into his truth in Matthew chapter 6, verses 19 to 14, so that we can examine three eternal perspectives to investing internally. So here they come. One, internal perspective number one is a singular treasure. Eternal perspective number three is a singular vision. And then eternal perspective number two, the number three is a singular master. All right. So let's begin with the first perspective, um, a singular treasure. Um, <clears throat> I think before we go into the treasure itself, as a young believer, I was forced to think about eternity um, for a couple of reasons. And you, some of you have known me for a little bit. You've known that in, when I was 10 years old, my, my mom passed away. And when she passed away, it really made me think really, really hard. What happens after you die? Is there something more to the life? And is she in heaven or hell? Or because she's passed Catholic is she in purgatory and just like my family need to to pray more prayers and you know count more beads that she would you know be elevated to the next level um, earlier this week I got an email from a friend of mine uh, from junior high so I'm just digging back in those junior high years and we used to play and do all kinds of crazy stuff and he mentioned that his dad passed away I was like wow I knew this I known this guy for 40 years uh, almost 40 years, and he just passed away. And I just know people, two pe people have souls. We know theologically souls are real, and souls will last in one place or another. And so, and so when I became a Christian, I realized there's a book, and there's a, a strange book, but a very helpful book called Ecclesiastes. And it talks about eternity. And God has put eternity in our heart. And he, he says, there's the things of the world and you can grasp after any of them. Pleasure, money, sex, you name it. And he says it's like grasping after the wind. And so <clears throat> there's a sense I know, in one sense, God has put eternity in all of our hearts. And we know that the, intuitively that there's more to this life. And so as we think of eternal perspectives, um, just know that um, there is more to this life than the life that we, we're experiencing in this world. And, he, and really, Jesus says this, when you come to know him, he goes, this is eternal life. Eternal life begins now. And it will lead beyond this life. And so I want you to get a grip of, on some level, what 
eternal life is about. And many of, many of our thoughts and efforts are consumed by the things of this world. But I just want you to remind, be reminded that what we're talking about is a perspective that's hard for us to think about because it's beyond whatever, our 20, 30, 40, 50, 80 years that we're living here. And so Jesus is saying, hey, I want you to invest in the life to come. And he said, and I think the key to this verse is in Matthew chapter 6, verse 21. We're not going to hit 19 and 20 first, but I want to go to verse 21. And Jesus says here, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So wherever, whatever you treasure, the things that you strive for, the things that you talk about, the things that you, you buy, things you spend time with, the things that <coughs> you occupy yourself. If you, you know, draw a dot from those, all those things, you tie a, a line right back to your heart. Um, so you know where your heart is as it relates to the things that you talk about and that you pursue. And so <coughs> Jesus' point here is that you can, easy, you can tell where your treasure is and by the things that you pursue. But I want you to submit, I want to submit this thought to you that Jesus is getting at something deeper. He, if you want to invest into eternity, you need to invest into the greatest treasure of all. And that greatest treasure of all is also the one that offers eternal life. And his name is Christ Jesus. Jesus, without a doubt, is the greatest treasure um, of all. He alone uh, forgives sin. He alone is the Holy One. When we say holy, the only one, it's a, it's a big deal. There's things that we could say, hey, there's not many first edition fill in the blank. Or I remember as a child reading about rare stamps, and there's a story that there's these two stamps, and one guy wanted the... Uh, the owner of one stamp bought the other stamp. And once he got the stamp, he burned it. So he would have the only one. And so when we think of God, he, Jesus Christ is the only one. It's not like we're choosing multiple gods or we're talking about polytheism of some form. Jesus is the greatest treasure because he is the only one that died for the sins of man. And he makes him that much more desirable because he is only one. And he makes him that much of the greatest treasure. Um, as a young believer, I keep going. Sometimes I, I like to just remember my old roots because those old roots helped me grow. And so one of the songs I remember singing a lot was this song, <coughs> um, You Are My All in All. I believe it's on the screen. And it, it, it talks about Jesus as his treasure. He says, seeking you as a precious jewel. I mean, really, it's not, he's not a, a precious jewel. If I were to upgrade the song, we will use a definite article and refer to Jesus as the precious jewel, right? And it would go on, Lord, I give up to be a fool. You are my all in all. Jesus is our everything. He is the greatest treasure of all. And he says, and it states what this treasure is. Jesus, Lamb of God, worthy is your name. He says this twice. And then I like this part. Taking my sin my cross, and my shame. This makes Jesus, again, the greatest treasure. Jesus takes my sin upon him, and he pours the wrath of God. He also takes my cross, and he bears our sin on the cross. And most of us, we know what it is to experience shame. And 
when we are when we um, sin, we, we we experience shame. We we know what we have done and have did is, is wrong and offends a holy God. But what Jesus says, what I take the shame. He takes the shame, and he goes on. Um, saying, rising again, I bless your name. You're my all in all. When I fall down, you pick me up. Guess what? As a church, I want to be as the best church as we possibly can be. I want to be an uncommon community. But we'll probably fail you here and there. But Jesus is there to, to what? Pick you up. When he's dry, he wants to what? Fill your cup. He fills you with the best um, himself. And again, he's, he says, you are my... Oh no, Jesus, my friends, is the greatest treasure. And so if you have that in place, where your treasure is, what? Is where your heart will be. So if Jesus' heart is for saving you, and Jesus' heart is for eternity, if your heart is where Jesus' heart is, your heart will be, what? For eternity too, and for the things beyond this world. Um, one where does he be puts it this way? He says, if... The, if the heart loves material things and puts earthly gain above heavenly investments, then the result can only be this be a tragic loss. The treasures on earth may be used for God, but if we gather material things for ourselves, we will lose them, and we will lose our heart with them. Instead of in spiritual, instead of in spiritual enrichment, we will experience impoverishment. Warren Wearsby. I think that's just so true. Um, if we're c- consumed by the things of this world, we will die and be bent out of shape with them. But in the contrast, if we cling on to the things of the life to come, we will experience the blessings the Lord wants to give to us. So let's go back and f- <coughs> look at um, eternal Perspective number one, beginning with verse 19. Jesus makes it super clear here. Where you lay your treasure up, where you lay your treasure up, this will be your best investment. In verse 19, Jesus gives a negative command to his audience, to them, and to us today. He says in the negative command, do not lay up four treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. I want you to know that Jesus was very good at encouraging layups in the right place, okay? He doesn't want us to lay things on this earth, but he wants us to lay things um, in heaven. But let's begin with the things that he says not to lay things up in. So um, the little translation of this phrase here is, do not treasure up treasures for yourself. The Greek connotation here is a stacking up or laying up horizontally like coins, I believe, on the screen on the next slide. Do we have a next slide? No. Yeah, like that. Um, oh, it's previous slide. But this idea of the stacking and stacking and stacking, hoarding things in this life, in this world. And this idea of having your own personal safe, safekeeping and literally stockpiling and hoarding of things. Um, that's the mindset here. So Jesus is literally exercising, I'll call it 
common divine sense. God is giving divine wisdom. And I think this is pretty straightforward, pretty common in the sense. The things on this earth, the things that you can invest in this world, they're susceptible to moth, to rust, and to thieves that break in. And so um, I don't know if any of you guys can relate to this, but as a child, sometime my parents would leave me at my grandparents' house and they would go off to work and my grandparents would watch, watch me. And when my parents, my grandparents weren't watching me, I would just go around the house and look at different things and I would go to the back room and I'd open like the chests of like clothing and belongings. And I didn't know why it just smelled. But inside all these chests were, were belongings and clothing and I smelled what? Mothballs! Mothballs were there what? To deal with the moth there. But I would look around deeper and I would still find dead moths in there and holes in the stuff. But there's a reality that what? Mothballs will, not mothballs, but the actual moth will go after things. And so maybe some of you guys can relate to that. So moths, you know, bite and chew uh, on fabric and stuff, and mothballs are supposed to deal with it. But it doesn't always do that. Um, some of you guys may have belongings that are made out of, what, metal. And... They, they rust. They rust in this world. It could be a number of things, and you can just fill in the blank of what is susceptible to rust. Many things, many of these things are the things we hide maybe in our backyard shed or in our garage where it's still susceptible to moisture, and you realize after a while my shovel is pretty rusted. And I remember taking a shovel that was out of shape, and I stabbed it into the ground, the whole shovel part broke off the stick. It wasn't because I'm super strong or whatever. It's just old and rusty. Um, I, my, my, my friend had like a Chevy Nova that was really old and it was rusting on the bottom. And I remember sitting in the front seat and I was looking underneath this carpet. And I'm like, dude, underneath your carpet is rusted and I could see the street going by my feet. I was like, this your car is scary. What if I stop it? Am I going to fall through your car? So my whole point is what? Rust. Metal is susceptible to rust and it eventually breaks down in this world. And then they talks about thieves that steal stuff. How many of you guys ever had anything stolen? Yeah, it's happened, right? What's the worst thing you had stolen? iPhone. There you go. It's pretty serious, especially these days. <laughs> I can see for what. <laughs> yeah. One time I was at a public place and I was checking in to go skating and I looked at the monitor on the screen. I go, that's my car. And there's a guy hovering over it trying to jam something into the the lock and so I literally ran outside and I said hey you know he's gonna shoot me then but no he he jumped in his car and ran away and so I'm like there it was interesting it was sad for a number of reasons the police came and I said go after him and he didn't go after him because he didn't think it was a serious issue like he didn't shoot anything so the police just let him go and then I got his license plate and asked the police to follow up and they never did anything I'm like gosh what's going on but these break in anybody else the worst thing more than an iPhone of value your house is robbed before Yeah. PlayStation 2. Yep. How many of you guys ever stole something from somebody else the other way around? 
Come on, a pencil, <laughs> something, a hat. All right. So thieves steal stuff, and some people, what, make a living off figuring out a way to steal a lot of stuff, right? And so those are the things that happen in this world. In contrast, Jesus makes this sharp contrast, and he talks about, the, what, the best and safest place to store things. So in verse 20 says, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. Guess what? In heaven, the moth can't get there. Things don't rust in heaven. Um, thieves, guess what? They can't break into heaven and steal your, steal your investment. And so, so this is the safest place. Um, some of you guys have special locks. Some of you have double code or multiple code security. Some of you guys have special cameras that literally watches your items get stolen, right? Um, I remember sending this thing to my parent, and my, pa my parents have these special cameras, and they go, I go, Mom, Dad, you guys ever get this? <laughs> and they go, no, but we have pictures and footage of the bad guy stealing it. I'm like, that's just great. But in heaven, right, you rust, Maz and Steve cannot touch this investment that Jesus is talking about. So real quickly, what and how do you store up treasures in the life to come? And so um, here are a couple ways to just think through this. Um, how do we invest in the life to come? And I would say one overarching principle is to aim for God's glory, um, to give him the glory and seek to please him. And there's probably three categories that, that, that can encompass in the multiple ways that you could invest in eternity. The first one is your time. And I want to really, I want to say this much. Your time doesn't cost you anything in terms of finances, but it does take time out of your life. And, I, and with time, you, I believe Jesus would think, how do you look at your time? Um, there's time to sleep. Um, there's time to pray, time to read God's word. There's time to eat. And the rest of the time, just think through, you know, how do we use this for God's glory? How do we spend our time with him? How do we spend time with people, listening pe to people, um, loving people, encouraging people, pointing people to Jesus? Sometimes people just need what? Your time. One of the love languages time. Maybe your husband or your spouse would say, I appreciate it when you spend time with me. Maybe your friend may like gifts, but some of them just value time. At some, for some, at some level, everyone appreciates simply not being in the rush, 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 but just spending time with someone, knowing that you're simply there um, with them, him or her. Spending time is a way of loving and valuing people. Um, <clears throat> the second one would be to share your talents for God's glory. Share your talents for God's glory. God has given everyone here um, natural talents and spiritual talents. And God has given these talents for his glory. To, to, to bless him, to glorify him, but also to bless others. And this is like the one I'm like, there are so many talents. And I want you to know that everyone has a talent, if not many talents, and even training and skills. And God wants us to, to use them for the benefit of others, for his church, for the cities that you guys live in, and for other 
nations and cities around the world. There's a lot of, I don't want to go into every single thing, but some people, some of you might be saying, I have no idea what my talents are. I just want you to just think about it. Just think about it and ask others, what do you think I'm talented in? How can I help? How can I serve? How can I bless others? Some of you guys, I think there's untapped talents that we just don't even think they're talents and they could, we don't think how they could be useful. Um, there's books and websites. You just go to them and just think of just creative ways. I've heard this fascinating things with kids starting business and just raising money to, to bless kids that are un, more um, unfortunate. And there's just simple ways to do that. Other people may simply think, I just love to read books. Some people may like books just simply read to them. Um, <clears throat> some people have skills of making coffee. Other people like drinking coffee. <laughs> some people like working with gadgets. Other people would like to learn how to work with gadgets, but they don't know how yet. Some of you guys have amazing skills in being trained toward that end. And there's ways to just think through, how can I use this training now and into the future? And so those are just some ideas. I think I, I want you to not waste our lunch times and our times we interact. Really encourage each other and have Christ-centered conversations as we move to lunch um, and talk about, you know, get to know each other and each other's talents. The last one is your treasures. Um, share your treasures for God's glory, okay? When Jesus says treasures, he's not talking about our leftover money or our extra money. It, it is fascinating. When Jesus talks about money, he talks about it a lot. He's not ashamed. And I don't think as churches we should be ashamed about that. And he wants us to invest well. And that's why I believe, I believe Jesus is talking about that. And there's fascinating verses like Luke 6.38. It's a fascinating verses where Jesus literally wants us to give. Why? And it will be given unto you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over. Shaken over, running over. Will be put into your lap. For the measure you use it will be the measure back to you. God wants you to give in such a way that he wants to bless you back. I'm a part of a church planting network called the Carolina Movement. And there's one church last weekend, they gave $100,000 to their congregation. And they said, take this $100,000 and go invest it. Go bless somebody. Uh, to me, that's fascinating. And they said every time and every year they've done that, they, God has multiplied their investment and more money has come back. And what they want to do this time is they're, they're putting this out to their church for a month. And then when it comes back, they want to give it to all the churches in the network and they want us to do the same. This is fascinating. I've never done this as a church, but if it comes back and they are blessed, it comes back to us. I'm literally going to ask you to do the same. So we'll see it. This, this is what this pastor has done. I've never done it. But I'm like, maybe there's something I just don't understand how God wants us to invest um, into eternity and trust God to work out his economy by his ways and his rules. Randy Alcorn says this about tithing. Our family has been reading this book called Treasure Principle, and I'll have a lot of applications from him toward the end. But this is fascinating. I, I, I'll be real honest with you. As a child growing up, money was tight, and I just didn't like the idea uh, of giving. I remember when I first gave my first $10, that was like a lot. And then the first $100, I'm like, whoa, this is big, God. And now it's just like, it's more. It's hundreds, thousands. This is more. Just growing in this and understanding that God wants us to live um, 
by his principle, live according to his kingdom, not living the way I was born and trained and raised up. And he says this, he goes, tithing is not the ceiling of giving. It's the floor. It's not the finish line of giving. It's the starting blocks. Ties can launch us into a mindset, skill, and habit of grace giving. He or she who lays up treasure in heaven looks forward to eternity. Why? Because the reward will be there waiting for them. But truly the greatest reward is seeing Jesus face to face for the very first time. And to me, that is priceless. As the years go on, I can't wait to see Jesus. I mean, I've been reading about him and talking about him and telling about him for a while now since I was 18, 19 years old. And I just can't wait to see. One day, um, as I've sought to put my time, my treasure, and my talents for his glory, that one day you will see Jesus and we'll see the, what, eternal investments there and not worried about the investments that we left behind. Uh, it's, it's true. In this life, you can't bring anything into the life to come. Um, I, it's very practical. I've never seen a hearse attached to a U-Haul attached to a hearse trying to bring things in the life to come. I bring, I've been to funerals where people literally would throw money into the casket thinking that will help them. It will be useful in the life to come. And some people don't want to bring, you know, throw real money, so they throw a bunch of fake money in these caskets. And a lot of these were Asian relatives. They weren't Christian. And like, what are you guys doing? I didn't want to be rude, but seriously, like, what are you trying to, what, what is your belief behind this stuff? It's not going to get anywhere behind, beyond this casket. Um, I won't say negatively or harsh, but I mean, this is going through my mind. It's just really sad. They think they're making an investment in this very last moment that will help their loved one. And this is not true according to scripture. Number two, eternal perspective number two, a singular vision. Um, verse 22 and 23. Jesus calls us to have eternal perspective by having a singular vision. He says this, the eye is the lamp of the body, so if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of the light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? So as human beings and as believers, I believe at some degree we all suffer some degree of distorted vision with our physical eyes and spiritual eyes and having an eternal perspective. Um, so our eyes ha have been blurred. In one sense, our eyes have gunk in them. Um, our vision is blurred. Maybe we have like spiritual cataracts or nearsightedness. And that's why what? We, we can't only think so far. That's why we only invest in this world, our 401k and our time toward our, our, our retirement or whatever. Um, but he wants us, Jesus wants us to have our eyes cleaned and clear and that we would have eyes for him and eyes for eternity. And William Barclay puts it this way. And I just thought this was a very great analogy. He takes this same statement and it packages it a little further. He says this, the color and state of a window 
of a window decide what what light what light gets into a room if the window is clear and clean and undistorted the light will come flooding into the room makes sense and will illuminate every corner of it if the glass of the window is colored or frosted or distorted or dirty or obscured the light will be hindered and the room will not be lit Many of us can experience, right? Some of our windows at our home are frosted. I put the special coating on it or they're, they're dirty and so it distorts the light. And so he goes on and says, so then, says Jesus, the light which gets into a man's heart and soul and being depends on the, depends on the spiritual state of the eye through which it has to pass. For the eye of the window, for the eye is the window of the body. So it makes sense, right? <clears throat> what our eye is drawn to um, is reflected in what our body is consumed of. If your eyes are blurry, you draw your, your body, physical be, your body will be drawn into darkness, dark things. And if, you're, if your eye and vision is clear and focused and you have a single passion for God, literally your body will literally move into serving God, giving to God, investing into God's kingdom. Um, and that's, <clears throat> and Jesus wants us to have clean eyes, clear eyes for him. And it begins with what? A pure heart, fully dedicated to him. And I believe if you have a pure heart, and your heart's for Jesus and for eternity, you will become far more generous than you ever even want to at this time, <laughs> but far more what Jesus would have you in, in the future, and that you would give all the more. Uh, moving to the last one, eternal perspective number three. So we looked at the, a singular treasure, a singular vision, now a singular master. Um, Jesus says here in verse 24, he, he makes this really simple illustration. This is the one I got, um, at, and he wants us to relate to the Lord, to the master of his kingdom. And he says here, no one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money or God and mammon. Um, I've never been a dog owner. Um, I don't know a ton about dogs. I know a little bit about dogs from you guys. Um, you know, as a kid, I, I used to ask my parents, can I have a dog? Can I have a dog? And I, I, moved, I moved out and they bought a dog. I go, wow, that's so nice of you. Replace me with a dog. So I'm the oldest of four kids and they replaced me with a dog. But um, <clears throat> what I know a little bit about dogs is dogs are typically loyal to one master. Um, they might be, <clears throat> so yesterday we were at a friend's house. They're a family of four husband, wife, and two kids. And so I was talking to the dad. I'm like, do you all your, does your whole family all, um, <clears throat> are they all good masters to, to the one dog you have? Do they, does the dog, you know, readily obey immediately and completely everyone in the house? And the truth was he basically shared, the dog obeys me, the husband, the best. My wife, he doesn't really obey much, and to the youngest kid that's smaller than the dog, the dog ignores, and to the older kid that's getting bigger like dad, the dog semi-obeys. So I'm like, that's really interesting. And so it seems like the husband, the father, is the master in which the dog obeys. So I'm going to stop here and take a risk. Does anyone have more dog theology that they could add to this concept that dog lovers talk to me? 
Do dogs generally function to obey one master more so than others? In other words, can you have two masters in the home and the dog says, yeah, I, I, I just love both of you guys simultaneously. The Jays, do you have anything? Who does Mochi favor? Yeah. Because Andrew's strict, <laughs> right? Yeah. Anybody else with dogs? Sure, some of them have a leaning toward that. Just on a side note, there's actually a curriculum called Cat and Dog Theology. <laughs> Cats are all about themselves, and dogs have a, a natural propensity to be loyal to their master. And so, I think Jesus understood this, that um, no one can serve two masters. And I, if you think about it, it's really hard. Maybe you guys have struggled with this. How do I serve God and my money or career at the same time? It's, it's a struggle. When you come to a point where you can say, I'm going to serve God through my money and through my career, the whole game changes. But if you're like, if both of them is like your struggle, one will win out and be your idol and literally draw into light or draw yourself into darkness as you pursue those things. And so... There's your cat and dog theology. You can look it online. It's, it's fascinating how cats <laughs> are and dogs are like, um, are like. But James Boyce, he says this. He says, ask, your, ask yourself this. <clears throat> can anything be more insulting to God who has redeemed us from the slavery, slavery, slavery of sin, put us in Christ and given us all things richly to enjoy than to take the name of our God upon us to be called by his name and then to demonstrate by every action and every every action and every decision in life that we actually serve money. I think that's a sad deal as God has given us yet we want to actually serve money. Um, I wish um, <clears throat> we had more time and do a study, but these three websites are Christian websites. They talk about all the verses in the Bible, pretty much. It talks about money and how to invest. Really, I feel like our whole country needs to go through this because we're in a country and trillions of dollars of debt and churches reflect it too in many ways that the people that go to these churches. And there, I think there's a place for us to go through um, this kind of training. I mean, if, if we were to do marriage training right, I would have everyone go through parenting training, marriage training, and finance training. And that would take a whole year at least, go meeting up week to week so that we could be squared away and at least on the right thing. And I guess before all that would be gospel training to put that all in front of you. Um, but that's how good these companies are. Lastly, I'm going to give you seven principles straight from Randy Alcorn's book. These are um, principles to just put your mind around. And these are just the best. I would have gave my own and just said, like, give a lot to Jesus. But really, he just breaks it down in six practical principles. It just helps us to put our mind around investing um, eternally. The first principle is God owns everything, and I'm his money manager. It's not our money. He's the manager. He owns everything. So we are the managers of the asset God has entrusted, not <coughs> entrusted, not given to us. Treasure principle number two. My heart always goes where I put God's money. It makes sense, right? What happens, watch what happens when you reallocate your money from temporal things to eternal things. 
So again, this is baby steps. We sought to give more and more to eternal things, to missionaries. And some of some we, we knew more than others, and we began to what? Care for them. Um, I hope that we would send missionaries out of this church, and they would go to hard, difficult, painful places, and we would give toward that end and support our missionaries, and that we would also go and visit them. And not just go and visit them. Some of us would go and stay there with them and even die in a foreign country, or maybe you come back when your parents are getting old, um, but that we would give um, eternally, and our heart would be drawn in that direction. Um, I, I would go as far as, I'd be more happy to see this church go to a place that's so much more needed in the gospel than the triangle, and this church die. That's a hard statement, but I'd rather die and do something else and see more people go where the gospel needs to go. This city is loaded with a lot of lost people, but it's loaded with a lot of churches too. Number three, principle number three, heaven, the new earth, not the present one, is my home. Guess what? Our home is not this world or the house that you bought. The house that you bought at best is a tent, um, something that you live in that may cost two, three, four hundred thousand dollars or more. Um, but our home is in heaven. We are simply passing through. And so our citizenship, you might be saying, hey, it's in the United States. Our true citizenship is in heaven, according to Hebrews 11, verse 16. Principle number four, I should live today not for the dot, but for the line. Do you know what this is talking about? From the dot, our present life on earth extends a line that goes further which is eternity in heaven. Our, our dot is our lifetime here. But Jesus is saying, live for the line, eternity. But I want you to know, all the decisions you make and how you live now affects eternity constantly, either positively or negatively in your investment there. Principle number five, Giving is the only antidote to materialism. Giving is a joyful surrender to the greater person and the greater agenda, namely God's kingdom. It, it dethrones me and exalts Christ. So learning to give. Um, this is, God wants us to have victory in this area of materialism and that you would enjoy his blessings. Treasure principle number six. God prospers me not to raise my standard of living, but to raise my standard of giving. God gives us more money than we need so we can give generously. So I brought this up earlier. Why does God make some richer than others? So they could give more. Um, I read, there's these magazines about giving story after story where people literally are blessed and they, they, they give it away. And God sees it so fit in these people to extend more grace in their lives. And they give even more. And they literally say, hey, this is the city I live in. Really, this is all I need to live in. And so I don't know what we need to live in in the triangle. Maybe it's 75,000. But God is at a place where he's blessing me 100,000, 150, 200, maybe a million a year. You could choose and cap your lifestyle and set your things up in this appropriate way and just give 
that it rests to the Lord. And if the biblical principles are true, I think he'll make you richer and richer and richer that you would give more and more and more and more because you are a vessel that God can use for his glory. Here's a, a, a video here and we'll wrap up there. Um, but three singular perspectives. Let's remember them. The first one is singular treasure, singular vision, singular master. Church, I don't want you to miss out on this. I'm in the sense that Jesus Christ is the greatest treasure of all. And it really begins there by recognizing the treasures in this life won't answer the joy that you long for, the love that you're searching after. But um, Jesus came and he came to die for your sins that you might have life in him. And as you <coughs> trust him, part of this course of life is to put your treasures in the life to come. Father, we thank you for this time that you would so love us so much to free us from the chains of materialism and living for this life, but for the life to come. Help us to see. Um, I know we have blinders and our, we have gunk in our eyes that need cleaning. Help us to see you and serve you as our master and king. In Jesus' name we pray.